Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name's Ren, and my best friend Drac is a vampire. Oh, but before you freak out, let me explain. Drac isn't like other vampires. He doesn't thirst for blood. He thirsts for knowledge. Each week, we hop into the coffin of curiosity for a spectacular adventure to learn about everything and anything, from how the sun works to why we burp. We have lots of fun, so join us. I promise that the only thing Drac will drink up is information, okay? Worst case scenario, he squirts you with some sunscreen. Search for Drac on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts for the ride of your life. Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This cautionary tale, Story Club members, might make you not want to hang out with the cool kids. It's one I call Blood Ritual. The campfire flickered in the chilly summer night. The orange flames painted dancing shadows on the surrounding trees. Maggie Batson was sitting with about 30 other campers and wasn't in a social mood. She was attending Mellowwood summer camp for two weeks. Her parents had forced her to attend. It was only day five out of 14. Most of the kids were from small towns or they acted crazy. She had pretty little in common with them. And then there were the lame arts and crafts, campfire sing-alongs, and activities like sit-up contests. Boring. Maggie was having none of it. She couldn't do arts and crafts to save her life, wasn't a singer, and she got nauseous whenever she tried to do even one sit-up. Maggie found three of her fellow campers interesting, though. For one thing, they weren't running around making fools of themselves like the others. They seemed to observe everything with detached coolness. They acted like they were better than everyone else. Maybe they were. Caleb Joyce had the face of a movie star and a penetrating stare. Kyle Morrison had blonde curly hair and an intense presence, and Marla Weston had fiery auburn hair and a wide smile. Through the crackling campfire, Maggie watched them. You know what, to heck with it, Maggie thought. I'll talk to them. The worst they could do is tell me to get lost. Rising, she walked over and sat down next to Kyle. Are you having a good time? Kyle asked. "Mm, Not really, Maggie said. It doesn't look like you guys are either. I'm Maggie, by the way. Yeah, we know, Caleb said. You've been watching us for days. It's gotten a little annoying. Oh, sorry, Maggie said. I just don't really know anyone here. Neither do we, Marla said. You don't seem like all those other dopes. Maggie got to know the mysterious campers. They'd come all the way from Seattle. This was their first time. They didn't talk much about their parents, but they did speak about how much fun they had with their friends back in the city. If you want to be our friend, Kyle said, there's something you must do. A small cabin stood about a quarter mile from the camp. All the windows were shattered, the roof moss-covered. The stairs to the tiny front porch were falling apart. Though it was the middle of July, a chill hung in the air. Maggie couldn't help peeking over her shoulder, feeling almost like she was being watched. Something wasn't right about the place. 
We found this place the first day we got to camp, Marla said. And we found the guy who lives here the second day, Kyle said. He only comes out at night. See the shutters? Caleb said. They keep out sunlight. The guy is a vampire. We want you to go inside, get proof, and then report back. A vampire? No way! You want me to break into his place and snoop around? What if he comes back while I'm in there? That's crazy! He won't be back until morning, Kyle said. If he's really a vampire, Marla said, we can go to the authorities. They'll nail the guy and we'll be heroes. Like the four musketeers, Kyle said. Maggie hoped the cabin door would be locked so they could all return to camp. To her surprise, it opened. She took a deep breath and walked in. Lanterns were burning inside, casting a soft glow. The place was run down, reeking of mold. There were the lanterns, a few bags, a couple of chairs, and that was it. Nothing on the walls, no personal touches. Whoever was living here had only been doing so a short time. If a vampire really does live here, Maggie thought, then what am I looking for? The answer made the back of her head tingle. A coffin. On the side of the room stood a door. Maybe a coffin was hidden behind it? Maggie moved aside a wooden chair blocking the way and opened the door, peeking inside. No coffin. Only a pantry full of ancient canned and pickled goods. Creak. Somebody had stepped up onto the front steps. <gasps> He's home, Maggie thought. She hid inside the pantry, closing the door most of the way, but leaving a crack to see through. Somebody entered the cabin. Heavy footsteps clomped from the main floor. Something made a clunk on the floor, like a wooden box being set down. Maggie pressed her eye to the crack of the open door. A man in hiking boots and a parka straightened up, stretching his back. He didn't look like a vampire, or at least from what Maggie had seen in the movies. This guy was old, maybe as old as Maggie's grandfather, with a short white beard, round face, and plump stomach. He seemed tired. The man lit a little gas cook stove and placed a pot of water on it. He picked up a jar of instant coffee from the counter. Vampires drink coffee? Maggie wondered. Then the man turned and peered right at her. His eyes were as cold as ice. Maggie shuffled back to the safety of the shadows in the pantry. The man opened the pantry door and searched around inside. He grabbed a can of beans off the shelf. Maggie's eyes were wide, her heart pounding. Any moment, this maybe vampire could discover her and have her for dinner. Maggie could not take the suspense anymore. Screaming, she bolted from the pantry. The man had a look of astonishment on his face. Before he realized what Maggie was doing, she had shoved him into the pantry and wedged a wooden chair under the doorknob tightly. The man pounded on the other side of the pantry door. Hey, let me out! In the main room, Maggie grabbed the man's wooden box from the floor and dashed out of the cabin. You're making a serious mistake! The man roared from inside the cabin. Maggie returned to her waiting friends. I trapped a vampire in the pantry, but I don't know for how long. Leave that to us, Caleb said. We'll take care of him. Maggie set the box down. I got his stuff. Inside the box were wooden stakes, a hammer, a crucifix, garlic, and some vials of water. Wait, why would a vampire carry all this stuff around? These were all things the nocturnal bloodsuckers feared, right? Then she had a horrible realization. 
Caleb, Kyle, and Marla all showed their teeth that resembled blades of ivory. We've finally rid ourselves of that horrible vampire hunter, Nelson Van Helsing, Caleb said. Everywhere we go, he follows us. It's been decades. You did it, Maggie, Kyle said. You're the first human who didn't fail us. After we vanquish Van Helsing, Marla said, we can roam the earth without fear. Are you ready to join the club, Maggie? Caleb asked with a toothy grin. The four musketeers, Kyle said. The three vampires moved in on Maggie to make her one of them. Okay, so this is a great story about peer pressure. I don't care how cool your potential friends are. If something seems off, get out of there. I guess Maggie learned a little too late that her situation was a real pain in the neck. <laughs> Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This nightmarish tale, Story Club members, might make you not want to stay out after dark. It's one I call Clown in the Moonlight. Dr. Mendez didn't believe me and regarded me like I was insane. I am not insane. The story I told her seems insane, I get that, but it happened. Disbelieving Dr. Mendez asked me to tell her in detail what had happened again, though, and so I did. It had been Labor Day weekend, the time when the carnival always comes rolling into town. I've never missed the Labor Day weekend carnival. I've been to every single one in my 11 years. This was the first year, though, that my parents dropped me and my friend, Mark Redler, off at the gates alone and told us to have a good time. Let me tell you, we felt like grown-ups going through the gates. The smell of hot dogs, popcorn, and sawdust hanging in the September air without having a parental escort. We spent the afternoon and evening riding all the carnival rides, seeing the animals, and even catching a few shows like the trapeze artists and the clowns. <laughs> we had a great time. But on the way home, my friend Mark started telling me about this one clown that had been imprisoned for murder years ago. His name was Elvin, and he was often called Elvin the Evil Clown. Cute name, I told him with a chuckle. Sounds definitely made up to me. My friend Mark wasn't laughing though. He assured me that this was not made up and that it was all true. Elvin had once been Clyde Burnsetter, a dangerous drifter with an explosive homicidal temper. According to legend, Clyde was wanted by the law for several murders, mostly down by the railroad tracks. He was a drifter riding the rails, occasionally killing other hobos who crossed him for any money or possessions that he might have deemed valuable. Soon, the authorities were after him. So Clyde joined a shady carnival circus as a clown where they were short one entertainer. Clyde had grown up without siblings, and so, to entertain himself, he learned coin tricks and how to juggle. He was a natural at doing clown antics, and he was also able to escape authorities with his face painted up. Clyde once had a funny cousin, Elvin, and so he named his new clown persona after him. Elvin traveled with the circus many years, evading capture from law enforcement. Eventually, though, he was identified, and when the police surrounded him, Elvin went into a rage, grabbing a giant hammer and swinging. He was taken out by the officers, but not before he murdered several innocent people in the process. Now, it's said his ghost wanders the area on moonlit nights where there are carnivals in town. The ghost of Elvin the Evil Clown is recognized by a high-pitched crazy laugh that he has. <laughs> That's how he was first identified by police. 
My friend Mark was obviously trying to scare me. There were no such things as ghosts, let alone clown ghosts. At least that's what I'd always believed. We were nowhere near home yet when my belief was shattered by high-pitched, crazy laughter. It was the most terrifying thing that I'd ever heard. I told my friend to stop it. Mark, who had turned totally pale, said it wasn't him. It was the ghost of Elvin the Evil Clown, and he was gonna bash our brains in with his giant sledgehammer. My friend took off running, leaving me alone. As Mark rounded the corner, he screamed. A chilling laugh shattered the night's silence again. Okay, that was enough. I was tired of Mark scaring me. Hurrying along, I was angry. Enough was enough. But when I rounded the corner, Mark was nowhere to be found. There was an alley up ahead. No doubt he would be hiding in the shadows waiting to jump out and get me. But that's not what happened. I found Mark. He was lying on the ground. Standing over him was this clown with a twisted smile holding a sledgehammer. The clown turned to me, his wild eyes boring into me. He gave that hideous laugh again and screeched, Hammer time, boy! And then came after me. And that's when I woke up here, Dr. Mendez. I explained. Elvin the evil clown's out there and he wants to get me, just like he did my friend Mark. Dr. Mendez shook her head. We believe that you murdered your friend Mark. We're gonna have to further sedate you and keep you for observation. No, I said, you don't understand. When I'm alone, he'll get me. He'll stand over me with his big bloody hammer and pummel me. Just like he did all those people. Protect me, save me from Elvin the evil clown. The doctor nodded to the muscular orderlies in the room. Take him away. No, wait! Yikes, poor kid. The only kind of hammer time I like is when I'm playing old MC Hammer Jams. And the only clowns I like are the funny ones, not the evil kind like Elvin. Lon Chaney, a famous silent film actor who was known as the Man of a Thousand Faces because he was also a master of makeup and was famous for transforming into such roles as The Phantom of the Opera and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, two films in the 1920s, once said that there's nothing funny about a clown in the moonlight. And so we've learned. Not exactly amusing when a clown doesn't want to tickle your funny bone, but break it instead, am I right? <laughs> Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most, and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This furry tale, Story Club members, might make you run away from creepy cosplay. It's one I call The Bunny Man Cometh. 
Alrighty, I love hearing from all of you, and one of the requests I receive the most is for more urban legend stories. So, here you go. One truly fascinating and downright creepy urban legend, as silly as it might sound, is the Bunny Man. Accounts of this deranged Easter Bunny began over 50 years ago, and there's even a local site where people converge at all times of the year to compare notes, especially around Halloween. Today's episode goes out to Kiernan, who wrote in and inspired me to tell this tale. And so, without further ado, let's bounce into the Bunny Man sightings that have inspired movies. The first Bunny Man sighting happened in a grassy Virginian field around two weeks before Halloween on October 19, 1970. Air Force Academy cadet Robert Bennett and his fiancée, Dusty, were chit-chatting in their car on Guinea Road. A shadow manifested from the darkness of the field's tree line. As the mysterious shape stalked toward the car, its hazy form materialized into a black, white, and gray furry costume with long bunny ears. The bunny man then charged toward Robert and Dusty. You're on private property and I have your tag number. The raging manimal screamed. Hoisting a gleaming wooden handled hatchet, he hurled it at the stunned couple. The weapon smashed Robert's window and landed at the cadet's feet. The bunny man then disappeared back into the shadows. Taking off down the road as fast as they could, Bennett and his fiance drove to the police station, describing what had happened. They also had the wooden-handled hatchet that had been thrown through their car window to prove the bizarre assault. A week later on Guinea Road, the bunny man raised his long-eared head again. Paul Phillips, a security guard for the construction at Kings Park West, spotted the bunny man standing on the porch of an unfinished home, swinging a hatchet at a roof support. Phillips yelled at the bunny man to stop, but the costumed assailant turned and screamed at him. All you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm gonna chop off your head. Phillips, who had never seen anything like this in his career as a security guard, later described the bunny man as a man wearing a black, white, and gray bunny costume around 20 years old, about 5 feet 8 inches, 1.73 meters tall, and weighing approximately 175 pounds, 79 kilograms. The Washington Post reported the sightings twice, but the shocking Bunny Man news swept Fairfax County's growing middle-class neighborhoods like a grass fire in a high wind. The Fairfax County Police Department received 50 reported sightings of the Bunny Man within two weeks. Soon, stories about the Bunny Man circulated in the community, which were mostly myths. Outrageous heresy about the vicious bunny man stringing up children off Old Colchester Pass were the horror stories that kept kids indoors. There were also tall tales about the bunny man being an asylum escapee who lived in the surrounding woods. Fairfax families felt defenseless and didn't know what to do about this new terror that had sprung up in their dwindling community. The Colchester Pass was built around 1906 near the site of Sangster Station, a Civil War-era railroad station on what was once the Orange and Alexandria Railroad. Its connection to the Bunny Man legend made it a popular place for ghost seekers to hang out around Halloween. The Bunny Man stories inspired several low-budget horror films, stories, and all kinds of mention in media. In fact, Willow Yates, Autumn Nash, and I were visiting Washington, D.C. around Halloween one year and decided to make the short drive to Fairfax. I was the only one who knew about the Bunny Man legend and decided not to tell my friends. A big reason was that I didn't think we'd see the hatchet-wielding rodent, so why freak him out needlessly? We were stuck in traffic waiting to get to see the Colchester Pass, an impressive concrete structure. 
Once we got to the spot and mingled with the other paranormal enthusiasts, it was time to head home. It was fun, but nothing exceptional. Autumn also couldn't come up with any psychic vibes in the area. No ghosts on this Halloween night. I decided to drive down Guinea Road, you know, just for fun. I mean, we were already there, right? Then I pulled over onto the shoulder of the road when I received a phone call. Willow and Autumn patiently waited for me to get off the phone. As I hung up the call, which was literally a boring identity check from my bank, by the way, I noticed a bunny man waving a hatchet and running toward our car, yelling, I will slay all you trespassers. Willow screamed in my ear. I could not hit the gas pedal fast enough. We roared off into the night. I peeked in the rearview mirror and saw the bunny man dancing around in the road, waving his gleaming hatchet. Could this have been the original bunny man? Well, if he was originally described as a 20-year-old man, that would make him now over like 70 years old. So I doubt that he would be feeling that lively now. My guess that it was a Halloween prank. Once we got back to DC, we ordered some pumpkin pie and hot cocoa at an IHOP restaurant, and then I filled my friends in on the bunny man legend. They were hopping mad that I didn't tell them about it before. What can I say? I drove away like I was in one of those Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Come back tomorrow for another episode, because every Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out! Go, kid, go! Food is an important part of our lives. Not only do we need it to be strong and healthy, but it can be a way we connect with others, like when you're sitting around the dinner table with friends or family. So what happens when someone commits a food crime? Food crimes are things like sneaking Halloween candy before school with a sibling, or making dessert that only you like, even when the whole family was looking forward to dessert. There are two sides to every story, so when a food crime is committed, we simply have to hear the whole truth. And in the show Food Crimes, you can listen as real kids bring their real stories to the food court. They explain the crime in question and make their case to the judge. So if you'd like to see if justice is served, be sure to listen to Food Crimes wherever you listen to podcasts.